Amen. Good morning, adults. Amen. Turn with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 39. Genesis chapter 39. We are in a series of sermons looking at themes and principles from the life of Joseph. Themes and principles from the life of Joseph. This message will be two parts. The Lord makes a difference. Genesis 39 and verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian, who was one of Pharaoh's officials, captain of the guard, he brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now, next part of our text. Now, Joseph was well built and handsome. That's all right. And after a while, his master's wife took note of him and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. He said, with me in charge, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he's entrusted to my care. Verse 9, no one is greater in his house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you're his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by the cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and he ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand, and had run out of the house, she called her servants. Look, look, she said, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. And she kept his cloak beside her until her master came home. She's going to lie to her husband. Her husband probably didn't fully believe her. If he did, he would have killed Joseph, but instead he put him in prison. Because he had to do something to save face. And so Joseph was put in prison. If you read the rest of the chapter, then even in that prison, God blesses him. And God wants to bless you. Even the lies of men can't hurt you. Hallelujah. Let's preach. I feel like preaching. Come on. We are content. Yeah, hallelujah. Sometimes the best thing to do is just run from that person. Run from that situation. Run from that sin. Some sins aren't meant to fight against. They're meant to run from. I can't even get into my message. Woo! And don't believe every devil you hear. Oh, oh, shut up, Joe. All right. We are continuing. Oh, glory to God. We are continuing in our series of sermons from the life of Joseph. Now, Joseph was blessed. He was used to the Lord. Wherever the Lord took him, he was used because of his willingness to trust God and honor God regardless of the road 
he was forced to take. We don't get to choose every road we take. Life often forces us. But he was blessed. And God's blessing remained upon him. And the key behind that was Joseph's constant, consistent conduct and his godly character. His recognition that he belonged to God. That he served God. In the New Testament, we like to say it like this. I am not my own. I have been bought with a price if I'm a Christian. I belong to Jesus. So wherever I go, I don't have the right to do my thing and say my thing. I'm His and I must represent Him. Can you say amen? Amen. This morning we'll try to cover two points. Number one, Joseph, blessed to be a blessing. And then number two, Joseph, overcoming in time of temptation. Number one, Joseph, blessed to be a blessing. The first six Verses. All the time while he's in Egypt, Joseph was a source of blessing because God was with him. Now, when he was back home, his brothers accused him of being a troublemaker. But God's Word declares he was a blessing and he brought blessing wherever he went. See, Joseph is a good example for all of us. An example of a believer who trusts God and makes the best of his difficult circumstances. That's what the Bible teaches us. Joseph didn't have, he wasn't able to read what Jeremiah would write many centuries later to the captives in Babylon. Where God said, listen, you're captive, you're in a city not your own. But while you're there, you pray for the peace and prosperity of that city. You try to be a blessing in that city. Because as the city is blessed, so will you be blessed. He currently did not read what Paul, what Peter wrote to the church in the Roman Empire. How he said, you be good citizens and you walk properly to be a good representative of Christ. The Word of God teaches the Christian, wherever this life takes us, wherever life plants you, be a blessing there. Shine for the glory of God there. Bring the blessing of the Lord with you there. Now certainly, certainly Joseph would rather have been elsewhere. Who wouldn't? But he made the best of his circumstances. He made the very best of his circumstances in Egypt and God blessed him. And all those that witnessed him could witness and saw the blessing of God is here because of that man and the God he serves. He is in a pagan idol worshiping place called Egypt. And Joseph is there a testimony to the true and the living God. He's in a dark place. Yet Joseph lived a life of godly character and conduct. And God took note of it and God blessed him and God let him be a blessing there. He was salt and he was light. Wherever God puts you on the job, you're a child of God. You represent Jesus more than you represent your family. And that's important to represent your family properly and holy and upright. But you represent the Lord Jesus wherever He takes you. You tell people, this is a Christian. I serve the living God. You're honest when they're not. You're pure when they're not. You're on time when they're not. You work quality because you work unto the Lord even if they're cutting corners. You are a child of God and everything you do, you do as a testimony to that fact. We do it unto the Lord. Somebody give me an amen. Amen. Joseph was a blessing. Blessed to be a blessing. And we see in this story that prosperity is not a matter of circumstances, but a matter of character. Joseph's circumstances, he was a slave bound to a master. Yet the Bible says he was prosperous and successful. Now we have to recognize that God's definition of blessing and prosperity is different than men's. For example, the words of our Lord. 
Remember the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. A blessed person. And the blessing of heaven falls upon those that mourn and those that are meek and those that have mercy. Upon those that are peacemakers, not troublemakers. Upon those that are persecuted for righteousness. That are poor, not haughty in spirit. About those that hunger for righteousness, not hunger for the riches and the applause of this world. When the Bible says Joseph was prosperous, it had little to do with how much material possession he had, but with how much of God he had. Jesus exhorted His people to be rich in faith. To be rich in faith. Be rich. Not so much in the things of this world that can come or go. Be rich in your relationship with your Lord and Savior. Be rich in good works that bring Him glory. Be rich in godly character, which the Bible says is greater than silver and gold. If we are true to the Lord, and we are true to His Word, and we live it out, then in God's eyes we're rich. In God's eyes we're blessed. And our lives will bring blessing to those around us. We have an assurance of His presence. We have the confidence that He's working things together. Look very quickly at two verses. Revelation 2 and verse 9. Revelation 2 and verse 9. And here's the words of Jesus. And we'll just take the first part of it. He says, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. Explanation point. Jesus said, I know your circumstances. But you're rich. I know what you have is something Caesar can't steal. Circumstances can't drive away. Your crisis moment doesn't evaporate it. You're rich in the things of God. You're rich in the things that are eternal. He's writing to a people that because of their stand for Jesus, many had lost their jobs. Many had been falsely accused and imprisoned. But here Jesus says, I know in the natural, you're under the gun. I know in the natural, you lost material possessions. But God from heaven, Heaven declares, you are rich. Heaven says, I don't care what everyone else says. My declaration over your life of those of you that love me and walk with me, you're rich in things that the world can't give and the world can't take it away. There's a different definition of prosperity here. You're never going to enjoy the prosperity from heaven if you're always trying to steal, rob, and beat out the next guy for the prosperity on earth. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Yet you are rich, Jesus said. What a beautiful thought. The Bible says, for you know the grace. We sang about grace. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus? Though He was rich. Yes, He was in glory. Yet for our sakes, He became poor. He came down to this earth. He took on this humanity. He suffered the accusations and the, the crucifixions. He did all that so that you and I, through His poverty or sacrifice, we might become rich. So again, if you know Jesus Christ today, the Bible says you're rich. You're rich in faith. You're rich in a peace that passes understanding. You're rich in a joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. You're rich in the assurance that God holds you in the palm of His hand. And He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. You're rich that when the time comes when you breathe your last breath here, you will open them before your Lord and before your Savior. You're rich in things that are eternal 
and everlasting. The stock market can't affect your riches. The Democrats can't affect your riches. The Supreme Court can't affect your riches. If you know Jesus, rejoice and be exceeding that. Because we have something that the world can't give. It's true and it's real. The riches we have, they're not dictated by the circumstances around me. They are dictated by the Christ within me. Blessed be His name forevermore. Hallelujah. So rejoice in the true riches. Give your value system in line with God's. Joseph teaches us this. He was blessed to be a blessing. And that's what God desires out of each one of us. God says in us and through us, as we serve Him, He wants to bless us so we can be a blessing. But prosperity is not so much the material of this world. It's the character and blessing of God upon a life. A little girl was describing her first trip into an elevator. She said, well, I got into this little room, I pushed a button, and then the upstairs came down. We came to Christ, the upstairs came down. We came to Jesus, the upstairs came down. And now when we walk with this Lord, we bring that life everywhere we go. We bring a hope that others don't have. We bring a reality that others are blind to. We bring a good news that others have only heard of bad news. Come on, say amen. We can bring a peace. We can bring a healing to those that are struggling and suffering. Oh, my Lord, my Lord. Blessed to be a blessing. Here's Joseph. He lied about. He's sold by his brothers into slavery. He's put in a place of bondage. But even there, because God was with him, because he walked with God, God blessed him. He became a blessing. And everyone in the whole household knew we are blessed because of that man. We are blessed because he serves the living God. And we can see it and can't deny it. Blessed to be a blessing. Number two, Joseph Overcoming in time of temptation. Overcoming in time of temptation. Mm. Oh, there's a wonderful character, Joseph. Wonderful character. Some people do all right when everything's good. When a little pressure on, you see the real person come out. The Bible does say from the abundance of one's heart. So a lot of times that, that crisis moment didn't create it, just exposed it. You see... You see that sponge full. If you want to find out what's full, of poke it. You see what comes out of it. So it's one thing when God's blessing and everything you touch and you're getting promoted and you're blessed, but now you're going to get set up and now you're going to be lied about. Hmm. Joseph gives us an example of how to live this life in a real world with the good, the bad, and the ugly, but to live it for the glory of God and to live it in a way where God is pleased with us. He's an example of what Christians need to be today. You see, Joseph had suffered previously in a pit because of the hatred of his brothers. But now he would face even greater danger because of an evil woman. There are times when fleeing is a mark of cowardice. But there are also times when fleeing is evidence of courage, wisdom, and integrity. Separation and self-control are two important traits for a godly character. Separation and self-control. They're two important weapons in our war against sin. Ultimately, we read the story, Joseph lost his coat, but he kept his character. And it was the Lord that made the difference. It was the Lord that gave him a God consciousness 
that he realized wherever I am, God is here. And I better act accordingly. It's the Lord that made the difference that gave him convictions within to know this is wrong and this is right. It was God that gave him the courage to stand and do the right thing when it wasn't going to be the easy thing and it wasn't going to be the popular thing. Oh, Lord, give us more, give us more. Joseph was a young man with convictions. He had this conviction before he faced this crisis. So he knew what he would do when temptation came. Similar way that Daniel, the Bible says of Daniel, he had decided in his heart not to defile himself with the, kid, the king's food. He already made up his mind how he was going to live. Let's listen to this. I remember that story of a pilot who made pretty much a crash-type landing. Engine went out, it was a stormy thing, and, but he made a certain maneuver. And he brought the thing in, and there was an a writer on board, and he also had a little flying experience. And on the way out, the writer said, tell me, what, what, that, that, that maneuver you pulled. He goes, I'm a, little, I'm a little aware of those things. I fly a little bit. Uh, engine out. And the, when did you decide to make that move? He said, about 20 years ago. 20 years ago. He says, mister, that's not the first time I thought about that problem or asked myself what I was going to do in that situation. From the time I was training to be a pilot, I've gone through in my mind and on simulators hundreds of different things that could happen on this plane, that could happen with conditions, that could happen... And what I would do in such a situation. And that's how Christians are supposed to be. See, Joseph was a godly man who interpreted his situation in the light of his morals rather than his morals in the light of his situation. He made a previous settled choice in how he was going to live and made up his mind before the test came and before the tempter called. Just like those of us who call ourselves Christians. When we came to Jesus, we gave Him our lives and we chose to live the way He wants us to live. His Word governs our morality. His Word guides our choices. His Word orders our steps. The decision has already been made how we shall live. We're going to do what the Lord Jesus would have us to do in every situation, on every occasion. Somebody give me an amen. We don't have to pray about it. We might run from some things. might fight some other things. might stand firm in the faith. But we've already made up our mind how we're going to live. This thing is settled. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. I have decided. Have you made that decision? Oh, I'm not talking about a churchgoer. I'm not talking. No, no, no. Have you made the decision? I have made a decision. I will follow Lord Jesus. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I've given Him my life. And I have decided I'm not turning back to the old ways and ruling myself. I am ruled by the King of Kings. And I will live how He wants me to live. And I will respond to situations in a way that honors Him and pleases His heart. Come on, say Amen. Amen. Now, temptations will come. Trials will come. We're stuck with them. Part of life. Stuck with them. You know you're going to get them while you're saved or not. You might as well stake with Jesus and live right and go through them the right way. Either way, the world's going to get their share. I mean, either way. Isn't that true? Some things you're stuck with. A woman went to the local precinct to make a missing persons report. Her husband was missing. 
Now, some women would be happy about that, but she went in to make the report. She made the report, talked to the sergeant at the desk, said he's about 30 years old, a six foot three, handsome and athletic build. Sergeant looked at her, took his glasses off, kind of shook his head and said, lady, wait a minute, lady. I know your husband. He's 50, short and overweight. And the woman says, of course he is, but who wants him back? <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Who wants him back? I read that. You know what I said? I said, uh-uh, honey, you're stuck with him. Amen. You're stuck with him. <laughs> he, might, he might be getting a little baldy, a little budgy. You're stuck with him. You picked him out all by yourself. Isn't that right? And you're stuck with him. <laughs> it's the truth. I said, Lord, have mercy. Woo! Oh, my. Trials and temptation, man, it's just part of life. We stuck with it until glory. Yeah, right? <laughs> Joseph overcame in time of temptation. And the good news is, as a Christian, you and I can overcome. That's the good news. That's the promise we have. That's the privilege we have. That's the grace. There's grace, not just to save us. There is grace that enables us to live this life. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 10. We're going to read verses 12 through 14, but then I want to sit on 13. Now, <clears throat> if you're a new Christian, one of the first things any good discipleship class will do is have you memorize 1 Corinthians 10 and 13. It's one of the most important verses to learn once you begin to really serve God. This is the verse that's going to help you stay strong, overcome old habits, face new challenges that are not easy to do, especially when we're young in the faith and we're first learning. But let's look at these verses and then let's glean 13. Paul writes, So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. None of us can get too cocky. Amen? Doesn't matter how long we've walked with God or the degrees that we've had. If we get cocky in this thing and don't stay humble before the Lord, hey, we, we can stumble. Amen? There, but for the grace of God goes I. Alright, verse 13. No temptation, this is good news, no temptation has come against you or seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. Oh, what a beautiful thought. God is faithful. And He will not let you, I'm glad He's in control, He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Isn't that good news? But when you're tempted, I'm glad that God knows when I'm tempted, He will provide a way out, a way of escape, so that you can stand up under it. And that next verse simply says, Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. But sometimes, like Joseph, the best way is just to flee. Amen? Sometimes don't debate it, run from it. Amen? Don't, don't fight it, just run, run, run. But there's different temptations and different responses. Now, we, we, this is written to the church in Corinth. Now, Corinth, not even like New York City, it was more like a Vegas of its day. It was a vile place, just a, an Amsterdam. It was just a vile, sensuous place. And you can imagine a young Christian writing the Apostle Paul a letter. He's gotten saved. He loves the Lord. But he's struggling. You know, I grew up in that. Didn't grow up Christian. Grew up, and he's struggling. And Paul's trying to write him some encouragement that he can overcome these things in his life. Because maybe I'll testify. You can be as sincere as all get out and receive Christ. But you still might have to fight that, that old temper. You still might have to fight that old you know, thing or two. And there, there's, there's, there's a growth process. And this promise that Paul gives us is one of the greatest promises to learn. Write your name in that. We teach Christians, write your name. 
Joe, no temptation has to put your name in there. Make it personal so you can fight this fight. But imagine Paul receives a letter and, and help me, Paul. And Paul writes this. This is beautiful. Number one, I want you to notice the common experience of temptation. Paul says, son, I want you, number one, I don't want you to give up as you're tempted, because everyone's tempted. So number one, you see that, that first part, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. It's common to man. Temptation is something everyone goes through. It's a very human experience. Everyone faces it, but thank the Lord through Jesus, we can overcome it. You see, temptation itself is not sin. Jesus was tempted. It's yielding to the temptation that's sin. The Bible gives us uh, no promises of ever living free of all temptation. But it does give us the encouragement that we can fight and overcome temptation. You know, it's like um, um, Brother Spurgeon, that great Baptist preacher in the 1800s, would tell his church, you can't stop the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from making a nest in your hair. You, you can't stop temptation, but you can stop it from winning. You see, we can limit as we grow with God. We can limit with wise, sanctified living. We can limit temptation, but we can never eliminate all temptation. So Paul writes to the young man saying, Number one, son, I don't want you to be defeated and condemned and feel guilty because you get tempted. Temptation is part of the human experience, the common experience of temptation. But then he gives them the second beautiful thought. It's called the controlled environment of temptation. The controlled environment of temptation where it goes on and says that God is faithful and He will not let you be tempted above what you can bear. It's a beautiful thought. This is a controlled environment. Now listen, this is, this is a tremendous help in combating the enemy who always try to lie to you. He's always going to try to tell you, you're going to fall. Your daddy had that problem. Your uncle had that problem. You got that problem. You're never going to overcome that problem. Well, don't believe the devil's lie. God just said. God just said there's a controlled environment. God's in control. You see, when God allows testing to come into our lives, He promises to limit the kind of test and the intensity of the test. He knows. He knows what our, um, our limitations are. He never allows us. The Bible promises this. He never allows us to be tempted beyond what we can bear. Think about that. Remember, temptation is not based upon what we think we can bear, but upon what God knows we can bear. That's a great encouragement. So whatever comes your way, you have to be able to recognize, Lord, I'm living right. I'm not being foolish. I'm not tempting the Lord. So whatever comes my way, Lord, you have promised me that this is controlled. You're in control. You will not allow me. God's in control, even the tempta- of temptation. You will not allow me to be tempted above what I'm able. So whatever you face and you're walking in obedience, you can overcome it by the grace of God. God has guaranteed it. So you think about it. Paul goes, all right, there's a common experience. So don't get condemned because you're tempted. Some people get so condemned they just want to give up because, no, no, no. Everyone's going to get tempted. But secondly, know that it's controlled. God's in control. He knows how much you can take. He knows how long you can stand it. And number three, there's a certain escape now. Now a certain escape. We've got a common experience, a controlled environment, a certain escape from temptation. And again, this is a beautiful promise. 
I mean, if you're trying to overcome something, you need to shout this at hell. You need to declare it to heaven. If you're battling with something, I want you to know by the authority of God's Word, God just said not only is He faithful, that He won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, God will. God Almighty says, I will provide a way of escape, a way out, so you can bear it and you can stand up under it. Isn't that good news? Do you want to overcome temptation? Do you want to win in these areas? God says you can. God says, in fact, it's my promise to you. God says, I will provide a way of escape. Literally, that's like, you know, when they're stuck in a mountain, the enemy got you surrounded, and you're looking for a mountain pass. A, a, a mountain pass. God says, a way of escape. I've got a way out for you. God will provide to those that look to Him, whether it's the strength to deal with it, the wisdom to deal with it, Maybe help from the outside to win in the situation. Maybe just um, an opportunity to escape. We need to believe and respond and expect that whenever I'm facing a temptation, that God, number one, He's in control of everything. And God knows how much I can and cannot handle. And God will make a way of escape for me in this. God has promised that and God cannot lie. So I'm going to stand firm and I'm going to be alert because God's going to bring it. It might be a phone call. It might be an encouragement. It might be wisdom. It might be the Word of the Lord. Run like Joseph. Get out of there. Get away from that. Move on from there. It could be a lot of different things. You know, Dr. Adrian Rogers, that great uh, man of God, great Baptist preacher with the Lord, he pastored down in Memphis for many, many years. And Dr. Rogers about temptation writes, you know, there's three basic ways of handling temptation. Number one, you can give in to it. You can give in to it. Some people just give in to it. They just live the way they want to live. But that's not good, but Jesus talked about a broad place. And the end of that broad road is not a good place, is it? It's destruction. So it's not a good choice. Number one, that's not the choice you want to make. Um, just give in to it. That's not good. Don't you give in to it, you go to hell. So don't give in to it. Don't give in to it. The second thing, he says, you can fight it with your human resources. But that can be awful frustrating. That can be condemning because, you know, we fail in our human strength. We get weary. We, we, we get condemned. Um, it's hard to fight something in, in your own, in your own flesh, you know? Again, it's a hard thing. We weren't meant to be that way. It's like that one guy, he's on the diet, right? The diet, and he, on the way to work, goes by the donut shop all the time, and finally temptation comes. And he thinks, well, Lord, you know, maybe just one donut wouldn't hurt. Lord, you wouldn't mind a donut. And so it's basically, you know, it was an innocent prayer. He said, Lord, if you want me to have that donut, it's okay to have that donut. Let the spot be open right in front of the donut shop. And you know what happened, right? You better believe it. After the sixth time around, there it was. He said, it must be God. Here we go. Because you know that that coffee just don't taste right without that donut. Amen. And that's how trying to overcome temptation is when we just do it with our own strength and our own ability. It gets very frustrating and very disappointing. But what we need to understand this morning is the same God that saved you has provided a way for you to walk in that salvation. The same cross where the Son of God died and shed His blood so we could be redeemed and delivered and saved, that same cross provided a salvation that gives us the power to live this life as more than conquerors. So you can give into it, you can fight it, or you can overcome it through Christ. And that's what 1 Corinthians 10 and 13 is giving us this wonderful promise that God's saying, temptations come, We've got a, we're fallen people, we live in a fallen world. Dr. Rogers so beautifully with like only a man of much wisdom could write. 
He goes, there's different types of temptations. For instance, when we're young, it's the passionate lusts. It's the passionate desires. It's the sex. It's the drinking. It's the passionate things. But then we hit middle age. And those desires go down. But now it's about ego. I want to have the biggest truck. I want to have the biggest car. I want people to see me as a success. It's the ego. Mr. Big. People start losing everything because they're running after the materialism to make me. He says, then we can get older, older generation. We're not going to be the CEO. We don't have those passions. But now we've got some fears. We're facing a future. And we're not sure about that. We've got some regrets. Struggling with that. And so every season has different trials and temptations that we all face. Some of those we just flee from. Like Joseph. Like the Word of God. Flee. Timothy, flee youthful lust. Flee idolatry. Just get out of that situation. Stop watching that junk. Just make a change. Get away from it. Get away from it. Position yourself to win. But some things we fight against. We resist the devil and he flees. Some things come knocking on the door of your home and you can't run from your home. You've got to stand and overcome certain things. Other things we just, by faith, using our faith, we reject that temptation to fear. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. So instead of giving in to fear, fear is sin. Instead of giving in to complaining, and complaining is sin. We're going to use our faith and trust God and declare our confidence in God. So there's different ways here now. Tonight, I'll take a little break from our series in Acts. And tonight we're going to look at consistent principles for overcoming temptation. That would be the fourth one. Go ahead, Jimmy, put the next slide up there. That would be the fourth one. We've covered the common experience, the controlled environment, certain escape. Now tonight, because it's a Bible study, there's going to be at least seven principles to help. Um, consistent principles for overcoming temptation. And we'll do that tonight. But I want to close this up by getting back to Joseph. Now let's learn something. He's our topic here. Let's know some things about Joseph overcoming. I just want you to glean some interesting thoughts from this story. May they help you in your walk with God. I'm simple enough to know that most people are here today because you love God and want to serve God. Most weren't dragged here by mom and dad. Maybe some were. But most are here. Some might be here because your spouse begged you, whatever. But most are here because you love God. And if you love God, you want to please God. If you love God, I mean, Jesus died for us. This makes sense. I want to please the one that died for me. Amen. I mean, that makes sense. But I've got my weaknesses. I've got a world that's against God. And so the Word of God gives me some tips, some insights, some equipping. So I can live this life. And we're going to study that. But let's look at Joseph because he is a wonderful example of a real man in a real worldly situation. Most can identify with that. He's away from God. He's away from people that love God. But he walked upright. He faced real situations. And he did it. Now, number one, I want us to notice, look at um, Genesis 39 and 9. But that's kind of where I'm going to glean this from. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Notice what it says. No one greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing except you. Look at the last line. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Let's talk a little bit. The first thing I want you to notice about how the Word of God and how Joseph um, addresses this situation. Joseph had clearly in his mind that sin is truly sin. He called it wickedness. He didn't call it an alternative choice. He didn't call it something old fat. He called sin wickedness. 
Now this is an important starting point. Because the enemy tries to deceive us into calling sin something else. Something is not. The enemy tries to promote sin by calling it what it's not. But the question as a believer, I always have to ask myself, how does heaven's dictionary define this? I'm not asking for the latest Supreme Court. I'm not asking what the you know, World Council of Churches. How does heaven's book describe this act, this affection, this attitude? So the enemy will try to promote sin by calling it something else. But the trouble with this, here's the trouble with this. Men will find that you can rename it, you can relabel it, you can reassess it, but that it still conflicts with reality. And the reality is God's reality, not man's. So we can call it whatever we want, but sin is still sin, and it will operate destructively as sin, regardless of how it's labeled. Now you can go home today, and you can put the fire on, and you can call it water, you can call it water, you can call it water, till five judges sign off and say it's water. You stick your hand in there, it's going to burn you. Our redefining doesn't change the reality before God. You can get up on the roof all you want and say, I don't believe in, in the law gravity. I don't believe in the law gravity. It's unfair. I don't like it. I'm a mill- I don't like it. I don't like it. No one asked me about it. Like God needs your opinion for anything. You don't need any of our opinion. I'm not going to believe in the law of gravity. In fact, I wrote to my senator and he said, we're going to outlaw the law of gravity. This is too constraining and too binding. And you can change it. Law of gravity is outlawed. You can jump off that roof. You know where you're going? You better believe it. You can call it anything you want, but you cannot change the reality and the repercussions of that reality. So we better get back to the book and find out what reality is. The author, the creator of the heavens and earth, he has given us a book so that we don't have to be foolish and we can know his reality. Think about that. You think just because some big shot that came from Harvard says we're going to change things? You think with some blowhard in a White House Said so we can change things. I got news for everybody. There is a God that sits in the heavens. The true and living God. He is holy and He is awesome. He's not asking us, let's make a deal. He says, this is the deal. This is the way you better walk in it. And we don't get that choice. Come on, say amen. amen. Hallelujah. I tried, you know, <laughs> this Joseph, first thing he said. He said, this is sin. For you, um, you, um, English majors. How does Shakespeare say it? A rose by any other name. It's still a rose, baby. That sin is still sin. That lust is still lust. That lie is still a lie. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Victory begins as I use heaven's dictionary to find the act, the affection, the attitude, not society. But society can say, you know what? It's okay. Hmm? Society can say, well, you know, come on. The ends justify the means. Situational ethics. I'm just trying to tell you. Joseph teaches us, number one, that sin is wickedness, regardless of what we rename it. So I want to identify it, and now I want to address it. Second thing Joseph recognizes is that sin will hurt others. You look at verses 8 and 9. Man, my master's been good to me. Why do I want to do something like that to hurt him? He's trusted me. Why would I want to? You know, love has a loyalty to it. You love her, you be loyal to her. You love her, you don't look at anyone but her. Oh, come on, say amen. Love has loyalty. You love God, you're going to serve God. You love God, really love God. Don't just sing the hymn. You serve God. 
Oh, yeah. Joseph recognized sin will hurt others. The world tries to ignore this. The world tries to ignore this. Everybody in the world loves their free will until someone else's free will bites you. We love our free will. We boast in our free will. I'm free. I'm free. Until someone else drives and runs you over. So someone else's decision cripples you. So we're, we're, we're cocky with our free will until that free will costs us a lot of pain. Joseph recognized not only is sin sin, but sin does hurt others. Sin hurts others. Um, people are affected by the choices we make. We see the epidemic in our country of broken families and homeless children. His parents are a mess. I'm telling you, your choices matter. We see an epidemic of drugs and everything else. Your choices matter. It affects everyone. We can go down every strata of society. God didn't make it that way. Man made some very foolish and unwise, selfish choices. And the repercussion of those choices. You can't out, you know, outlaw the repercussions. You can't ask the judge and the jury to redefine the repercussions. It comes. Because you cannot hold fire to your bosom and not be burnt. And you say, Amen. Love has a loyalty. How strongly people resist acknowledging sin's harm. But the effects go on and on and on, and we blame everything and everyone else. Yeah. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. Joseph, first thing we recognize in this verse, Joseph recognizes that sin is wickedness. And we now call sin what sin is. Before you tell that lie, call it what it is. Before you give her another look, you better call it what it is. Oh, yeah. And recognize that your actions will affect others. You will stand before God one day, but they'll hurt the ones you supposedly love. They'll hurt your children. They'll hurt your parents. They'll hurt. No, sin is not. We, we, can't, we like to say we can just live any way we want. No, 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 no. Your selfishness and your lawless acts bring a curse upon those that supposedly you're supposed to be blessing and loving. And last thing, Joseph saw that sin is ultimately an offense against God. But he says at the end of verse 9, how, how could I do this wicked thing and sin against God? Ultimately, God is the one that every one of us will answer to. It's unavoidable. It's inescapable. David wrote against thee and thee only have I sinned. Ultimately, though I hurt others, ultimately I stand before God. Now Joseph overcame in time of temptation. Now, I'm talking to people that love God this morning. I hope so. If you're here today and your heart's not right with God, you know, Pastor Todd poured out his heart this morning about the grace of God. And there's someone here, you haven't received that grace. You need to receive it. Someone's here and you haven't accepted Christ. You need to accept Him. But I know most of you here and you're trying to live this life. Let me talk to you. Joseph overcame in time of temptation. And so can we. So can we. We've got the wonderful promise of 1 Corinthians 10 and 13. We've got the wonderful truth that it's no longer I that liveth, but Christ lives in us. That God gives us His Spirit to help us live it. It's not all our own grinding it out, but He does. Well, notice one more thing from Joseph, and I want you to take this mentality and put it in your spiritual arsenal as you walk your walk of faith. Verse 9, one little word, one little word, but it's powerful. Verse 9, how then could I? Somebody say I. How could I? How could I, who have known the true and living God so long, do such a wicked thing? How could I, who have been so blessed to know the God's hand of mercy and love and kindness all these years, 
How could I, who have been raised from a child to know right from wrong, how could I, who have experienced the precious blood of Jesus washing me, and how could I do such a terrible thing and sin against God? That, my friends, is a key, a healthy mentality as we walk with our God. How could I? God's been so good to me. I don't want to sin against Him. God's been so full of mercy towards me, I don't want to misrepresent Him. God has been so kind to me. God has had compassion and then some on me. How could I do such a wicked thing? I'm going to take the high road. I'm going to live a separated life. As for me and me, I'm going to serve the Lord. May we thank the Lord for the way of escape. And may we thank Him that He has given each one of us the promises of victory over the tempter. And like Joseph, may we begin to truly recognize and value what true riches are. The riches we have in knowing eternal life and knowing Jesus as our Savior. And may we all just make the declaration this morning that wherever life takes us, wherever life takes you, wherever life takes you, God will be with us. We're going to take the high road. And God's going to bless us. And God's going to make us a blessing. Can you say amen? Amen. amen. Hallelujah. We're going to open the altar now. God is good. God is good. We, we, we study the Bible because God has given us a book. God loves us. And He gives us these characters to study. The good, the bad, and the ugly. We learn from their mistakes. We learn from their victories. But we're learning from the life of Joseph. We learn that, number one, if I'll take the high road, wherever, you know, everyone in your job, they might be lost, they might be ugly. But if you'll take the high road for Jesus, God will use you and God will bless you. Amen. Every one of us is going to face temptation. Mm-hmm. You know, temptation, it could be sensual. It might be to deck the person next to you. It might be to um, say an unkind word or spread a lie. Everyone gets tempted. But I want to be like Joseph and recognize my sins against God. Mm-hmm. And he's been good to me. I'm going to recognize the Bible says, if I want to, He'll make a way of escape. If I want to live right, God will help me to live right. Amen? Amen. And so whenever that temptation, whatever it is, when that temptation comes, remember, God promises a way out. God's given me the grace to take that way out. I've got to make that way out. Amen. We're going to open the altars. If your heart's not right with God, don't leave here until you make it right with God. He is good. He is full of mercy. He sent His Son to die for you. There is no other way to heaven but through Jesus Christ. But you can come. You can come. You can come. Maybe if you're here today and you find yourself kind of in a Joseph situation and you haven't been taking the high road, why don't you make a fresh declaration, Lord, I'm going to start taking the high road in this situation. I'm going to make the best of this circumstance. And I'm just going to trust you to give me the strength I need and to bless me and make me a blessing. Amen? So as we say our last prayer, we're going to open the altar. If you need prayer, come and let someone pray with you. Or if you just want to come and pray, come and spend some time waiting on the Lord. Stand with me, please. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. Glory to God. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Father God, I thank you for the true and eternal riches we have in Jesus. I thank you that we are rich. Because He became poor. And I thank You, Lord, that You are with us wherever life takes us. 
And you will make a way of escape when the tempter comes. I'm talking to someone right now. They're in that place. They're in that place. But the Lord say, if you look to me, I'll show you that way out. If you look to me, you'll see the way that I have provided for you to bear it and get victory in the face of it. Father God, we thank You for a way of escape when the tempter comes. And now I pray, Father, bless Your people. You know every need. You know every circumstance. Bless them, Lord. As they walk, and many are going through things they didn't ask for. But life doesn't often give us a choice. So, Father, as Your people are doing their best to walk with You, encourage their faith this week. Comfort them, Lord, where they're hurting. Refresh them, Father, where they're weary. And Lord, you know how I speak to all of us. You speak the language of your people. Speak to your dear ones. A timely word, a needed word, a helpful word. And now, Father, as we come to this altar and pray, I just ask you, Lord, let your power flow mightily. Answer their cries. Touch them at the point of their need. And we'll give you the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, If you need prayer, you want to pray, come and let the Lord bless your life.